Hello. Good morning. Um, today's scripture is from John chapter 20, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Good morning, St. Clair. Uh, it's good to be with you. So I'm attempting to get my phone to record my sermon. So that's why I was bending down. I apologize for that. Uh, it's a strange uh, Sunday. Uh, being here on Easter Sunday and just being in my home and recording this, it's not like any other Easter sermon that I've done before. But it's so good to be with you. And despite everything that's going on in the world, we truly believe in resurrection. Frederick Beekner, the author, says resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. If you are new to us this morning, if you're joining us for the first time, we're going to be following along the account of the Easter story in John's Gospel. So if you have a Bible handy or another device that I encourage you, we'll be looking at that in a few moments. I don't know if you've ever had one of those evenings where you just cannot sleep. You look at the clock, you roll over and you try your best to sleep. 
You try to quiet your brain down. Maybe you count sheep. I feel for many of us, we're probably counting the amount of sourdough bread that we've actually made. But you look back at your clock after an hour thinking, oh, I've been sleeping for a while. And you look at your clock and you realize it's about three minutes later. You toss and you turn. And each time through the night, you look back at your clock. 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., All you want to do is to sleep. Really spiritual people, like my friend Craig or Elaine, they get up to pray. I eventually pray, but normally I'm just frustrated about what's going on. But what you're wondering is, will morning ever come? Will dawn break? It doesn't say this in the account of John, but I am sure Mary cannot sleep that night. I'm sure Mary hasn't slept. John starts the resurrection account with these words, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. Let's be honest, it feels at the moment like the world is pretty dark. It feels like the world is groaning and grieving and waiting. Tom Holland, who's a historian who grew up as an atheist, who actually became a Christian when he traveled the world and saw some of the suffering of the world and recognized what Jesus has done with his crucifixion, says this. Good Friday exists in the context of the light that is to come, the light of Easter Sunday. The light of Easter Sunday is all the more radiant because of the darkness that preceded it. Grieving and waiting is a huge part of our story. There's an interesting line in John's gospel later on where he talks about Jesus appearing to Thomas. And it actually says Jesus has appeared to his disciples and then he appears to Thomas, but it's a week later. Thomas, the sceptical one who I very much appreciate, has not seen Jesus, the other disciples had, and he is just waiting. Doesn't it feel like we are all Thomas at the moment? We are all just waiting. Will the world be different? What will the world look like on the other side? After a week, Jesus appears to Thomas and he thinks, can it actually be true? But it is true. It's resurrection. It's new creation. It's interesting to me that the resurrection has happened in many accounts in the Gospels. People actually don't at first recognize what's going on. So this morning we join with John, the storyteller, not sharing myths and fables and fairy tales, but what we believe is the real story of the world. The story of light in the darkness, hope in the midst of struggle, the story of new creation, the story of resurrection. But first, the darkness. John's Gospel, chapter 20, starts like this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. When we read that, we can just think, oh, that's great. John is writing chronologically what's going on when he says the first day of the week. But that is not what John wants us to see. See, John is actually in his Gospel writing a new Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 starts with in the beginning. John chapter 1 starts with in the beginning. Many scholars say throughout John's gospel, there's hints of Genesis all the way through. See, what John is saying, it's the first day of a new 
week. This, in John's mind, is the eighth day. Jesus rested in the tomb on the seventh day, and now the eighth day is here. This is new creation. So it's still dark, and Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. She sees the stone is removed from the entrance. So what does she do? She panics. She's not sure what's going on. This is unusual. And she goes to get the other disciples. She says to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love the story of the resurrection, because even in the midst of this, it's deeply human. John boasts that he's a quicker runner than Peter. And when they get to the tomb, they notice that the grave clothes have been left to one side. Something has happened there, but the body is not there. This is an important detail, because earlier in John's gospel, Lazarus has been raised from the dead, And when Lazarus is raised from the dead, it says they actually have to take the grave clothes off him. But this is different. Somehow the grave clothes are to one side and they're wondering what is going on. John, John, it says, saw and believed, but they still didn't understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So the disciples depart and run back and Mary is there waiting. Verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. I'm so thankful that tears make their way into the resurrection story. See, for Mary, she thinks Jesus is dead. The one who she believed was the Messiah. The one who was going to save and rescue Israel. The weeping is for this failed movement that was going to bring the upside down kingdom, where the vulnerable and the broken who are out on the margins are brought firmly to the center, where love wins and power and military might don't. She is weeping for what she had hoped for. But not only that, she's weeping for the one who had shown her compassion and love who'd set her free and taken away her shame. See, she is weeping for the cosmic Messiah, but also her close friend and rescuer. Maybe some of us this morning feel like we're like Mary. We come to the tomb in the moment of COVID-19, and we kind of bring all of our tears, our disappointments We just come to the tomb like Mary, wondering, is there something different? Will anything change? As she wept, the scripture says, two angels appear. We're not quite sure where they come from. And as the angels appear, they say to Mary, woman, why are you crying? Now, I don't know if angels get out very much, but it seems to me Mary's crying for very good reason. Mary says wisely, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. This is a reasonable response from Mary. See, we know the end of the story, but Mary is crying because Jesus has died. 
See, many people will tell you that uh, when they try and debunk a myth about the resurrection, they'll say, oh, well, people in the first century, they were fairly primitive. And so they believed pretty commonly that people just rose from the dead. That was an understanding in their culture. But that's just not actually true. See, in first century Jewish culture, when people died, they actually stayed dead, just like they do today. But the resurrection changes everything. We believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus, which means we have hope because one day we too will be bodily resurrected. This is our future. At this moment with COVID-19 happening, we grieve and we lament and we're honest with our doubts and discouragements. We see loss in the world, but we also hope and trust that one day we will be made whole. See, death is not the last word. Paul, one of the first uh, people who followed Jesus in the early church, he writes to a church that he'd been part of planting in the city of Corinth. And when he's writing to this church, he talks about the importance of the resurrection. In that community, there's lots of debate about the spiritual and the physical. As followers of Jesus, we fully believe the physical world matters. That's why God himself came and inhabited human body and in this debate about the resurrection whether it was some people believe was it just metaphor is it just a spiritual account Paul says this in first Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 16 for if the dead are not raised then Christ has not been raised either and if Christ has not been raised your faith is futile you are still in your sins then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If not only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all of all people most to be pitied. See, Paul is saying there's not just hope for this life, there is hope for the future. If this is all there is, then people should take pity on us. Verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand what resurrection actually means. When we look around the world, we see despair and maybe even darkness. And sometimes we can be really cynical and just think the world is just in crisis. Where do we find hope? And maybe ourselves, we find looking around that we too fall into cynicism and despair. Ronald Rollheiser says this, Despair is the death of our sense of surprise, the belief that nothing new can happen to us. We despair at that precise moment when consciously or unconsciously, we say, that is the way I am. That is the way things have always been. And that's the way they'll always be. I know what is possible and now it's too late. Once this has been said, we are in a tomb. Why is this despair? Because the resurrection is always, like it was the first time, a surprise. The totally unexpected. The impossible that which defies the laws of logic and nature and common wisdom. When we have every angle of reality so calculated and figured out that we know all possibilities, then nothing nothing new can come and surprise us. We have ceased believing in God and grace. 
We have slimmed down God to fit our own minds. Verse 14. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but did not recognize him. Some people say that's because Jesus has a resurrected body. But it's interesting, the accounts of the resurrection throughout the Gospels in Luke and in John and the other Gospels, what we've realized is people don't always initially see Jesus, whether it's the disciples on the road to Emmaus or the disciples even on the beach when they're fishing later on in John's Gospel. People, Jesus has been resurrected, but not everyone sees him. Maybe being an Easter people means having eyes to see afresh the resurrection. Maybe it's having eyes to see what's breaking forth even in the midst of our struggle in the world. Maybe it's to see the hope that comes from knowing that this isn't all there is and Jesus is making all things new. N.T. Wright says the message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus and now you're invited to belong to it. Verse 15, he asked a woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And right there in the middle of the narrative is the ultimate question. Who are you looking for? In our current situation, we're all looking for someone to solve what's going on. We're looking for someone who can actually come and bring us hope. Mark Twain, the writer, says the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Maybe this Easter, Jesus is who we're actually looking for. What if Jesus is true and he's saying, come to me, because I am making all things new. Maybe this Easter, what we need is eyes to see. Philip Yancey says, in many respects, I find an unresurrected Jesus easier to accept. Easter makes him dangerous. Because of Easter, I have to listen to his extravagant claims and can no longer pick and choose from his sayings. Moreover, Easter means he must be on the loose out there somewhere. I love that in the different accounts of Easter, Jesus appears and he's really, he listens to the people rather than diving in straight away. With Mary, he says, who is it you're looking for? On the road to Emmaus, these disciples in Luke 24 are walking along. Jesus appears, it says, in the midst of them, but at first they don't recognize him. And he says, why are you so upset? Why are you downcast? And they say this, we had hoped he was the one who was going to change everything. See, even in the midst of this, Jesus shows up and says, is it me you've been looking for? John continues, thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. 
It's interesting that Mary thinks he's the gardener. And a lot of people say Mary's wrong, but in some ways, Mary's actually right. Jesus is the gardener of this new creation. Paul, when writing in the book of Colossians chapter one to this early church, says Jesus is reconciling all things back to himself. In the book of Revelation, it says there will be no more pain and tears and hurt when all things are made whole at the end of time. Verse 16, Jesus says to her, Mary. She turned around towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabona, which means teacher. Mary is weeping, looking for Jesus. And in that moment, he says one word, Mary. And Mary cries out. Can you imagine this is so deeply personal? With the mention of her name, everything is different. See, Jesus knows her. He knows everything about her and he loves her. The resurrection of Jesus is the event that changed history, but it's also the event that can change you or I. It is the moment where Jesus says your name. It's interesting to me in this account of the resurrection that Jesus comes out of the tomb and his first response is to stay in the garden. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. If I had been raised from the dead and this was Matt, I would, I would march into Rome or Jerusalem and declare to everyone, hey, you thought you could kill me, but I am back from the dead. And yet Jesus stays in the garden and spends time with those he loves, with his friends. Maybe this morning, Jesus is just whispering to you your name. As you come this morning with all of your doubts and frustrations, maybe even all the questions that you have, Jesus would just say, the same way I spoke to Mary is the same way that I want to speak to you. Verse 17, Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord, and she told them he had and she told them that he had said things, these things to her. Jesus says to Mary, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Mary thinks wisely that we can just go back to how things were. See, she wants to hold on to Jesus. She's just seen he's been resurrected and her desire is to cling to Jesus and just think we could just go back to how things used to be. But what Jesus says is don't cling on to me. It's really interesting. He's just been resurrected, but he says, no, you need to go, Mary. I'm commissioning you. What Jesus is saying is life moves forward. Maybe in the midst of everything that's going on in our current situation, Jesus is calling us to rethink what life actually looks like. Each morning as I've got up to do my daily reading and sit on my couch, maybe for the first time in a while, I've noticed the birds singing. 
Maybe in this time as we look forward, we'll start to treat creation with much more care. Maybe we'll treat one another with more care. Maybe we'll listen to the voice of Jesus to recognize that his resurrection and our faith in Jesus is the central point of our life. Maybe in the midst of this, Jesus is saying, don't cling to the way things were. This is a chance to start and look to how things could be. Jesus also commissions Mary as the first apostle, the first one sent by the disciples. Sorry, the first one sent to the disciples is a woman. This culturally seems really strange. To many of us, we might not know this, but Mary being sent by Jesus goes and flies in the face of the culture of the day. To have Mary as the first person to testify to the resurrection would be would be hard because in that culture, to be a woman speaking in a court of law, she wouldn't have had the same voice. But Jesus here is commissioning a whole new group of people. Jesus is saying, Mary, I want you to go, and he commissions her as a first apostle. This might not mean a lot to us, but when we know the story of Mary Magdalene, this is a really powerful moment. See, Mary has quite the past when you read about her. She's someone whose society is cast to one side because of her history. She's someone no one would trust or believe in. In Luke's gospel, it says she's actually had demons cast out of her. And yet Jesus says, this is the person I'm choosing to declare good news. See, no matter what your story is, today on the day of resurrection, Jesus can commission you also. In Mark's gospel, when the angel appears, it says, he says, go and tell the disciples and Peter that I am alive. See, I love that because Peter has previously just denied Jesus, but he is not forgotten. In fact, he is recommissioned. As I've been praying for our community over the past week and reading through this passage, I wonder if there's a word in here for us. That in this time of crisis, as COVID has caused us to spread to different places, that we can no longer be together centrally. What if Jesus is actually scattering his church, but spreading his church? What if Jesus is actually mobilizing and raising up the body? See, I wonder in this movement whether it's no longer about the great experts or even the brilliant leaders and teachers who will have all the answers. But what if it's a chance for Jesus to mobilize the body of Christ throughout Hamilton and the world? See, when we see, when we see crisis in the book of Acts, that was actually a chance, not for the church to regress, but actually for the church to grow. What if each of you are being commissioned to take good news to the world? I believe there's some of us out there who've maybe been on the fringes or um, have not felt like they could actually be a leader. And this is a moment where Jesus would say to you, I have called you by name and I am commissioning you. A few chapters later in the book of Acts, we'll see the Holy Spirit fall on the day of Pentecost. And I love it because it says the Spirit falls on all of the people present, those who felt they had great faith and those who didn't. And then the Holy Spirit sends each of them out. 
few chapters later, at the end of uh, a few chapters later in the story of the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples on that same day, and it says this: Jesus said, "Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you." And with that, he breathed on them and said, "Receive the Holy Spirit." Saint Clair, I believe Jesus is commissioning us to bring peace. And shalom, that true understanding of the word, which actually means the wholeness of God, where all things are made right, that we are going to be bearers of peace into the world. What if this Easter Sunday we are being commissioned to go and share the peace of God with people? And in that, they may find hope. If ever we need hope, it is this moment. A few years ago, and I close with this, uh, I wrote out kind of a charge to our community called "We Are a Resurrection People," and it was a way of trying to encourage our community how to live the way of Jesus and understand His resurrection as we live that in the world. And I actually rewrote it because it looks slightly different in this COVID moment. So I'm just going to encourage you with this as we close, and then I'm going to invite us to pray. St. Clair Community Church family and friends, may we be a resurrection people. We are a resurrection people when we stay home because we love our neighbour. We are a resurrection people when we pick up a paintbrush, start to garden, and learn to play music. We are a resurrection people when we learn to appreciate creation and see it as a gift. We are a resurrection people when we bake sourdough bread and hand it to our neighbours. We are a resurrection people when we pray our hearts out on our knees for Jesus' kingdom to come. We are a resurrection people when we finally start to see others as image bearers. We are a resurrection people when we grieve deeply the loss we see around us. We are a resurrection people when we love and appreciate our healthcare workers, grocery store workers, and all frontline workers. We are a resurrection people when those with jobs give to those who've lost their jobs. We are resurrection people when we take groceries to the elderly and the most vulnerable. We are resurrection people when we slow down and realize God is making all things new. We are resurrection people when we see the burning bushes in our daily lives. We are resurrection people when we realize children are a deep gift, not a frustration. And we are resurrection people when we see, even in the midst of lockdowns, pain, and despair, the tomb is empty, death is not won. Light is emerging, hope is rising, and Jesus is making all things new. Let's pray for a moment. As we pray, uh, just invite you maybe to open your hands. That's a posture we do at Saint Clair, and just receive the words afresh of Jesus. Maybe it's afresh to listen to his voice calling you personally like he did with Mary. To say, I know you. I Would you hand your life over to me?
so I can heal you, make you whole, and commission you to be sent into the world as a person of hope. Jesus, this morning, we invite you to come and to transform us, that we would be a resurrection people, that see the world differently, And even in the midst of what we see around us, we have hope that you're making things new. Jesus, would you transform us, fill us with your spirit and send us out that we could say, peace be with you. This Easter, we remember your resurrection. And because of that, we have hope. Amen. Each week at St. Clair, Uh, we close with a benediction. And a benediction is just a blessing, if you're new to that word, that I get to say over you. We say it all the time, but to pastor this church feels like a real privilege to me. I love this community deeply, as do the rest of our staff at St. Clair. And so as we go this Easter, I'm just going to say a blessing over you as we get to live out the way of Jesus in light of the resurrection, even though we live in somewhat strange days. And for many of us, our Easter Sunday will look differently to the way it has before. So as you go, family and friends of St. Clair Community Church, may you hear the words of the angels declaring, he is not here, he is risen. And may you know that the tomb is empty, death has not won, light is emerging, hope is rising, and Jesus is making all things new. Grace and peace.